started in Genesis. We're all the way in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. And oh, what an interesting chapter this is. Oh my. It's hard to outdo chapter 9 though. Chapter 9, wow. But that's the way the book of Daniel is. Every chapter is, is like a blockbuster. But uh, we're going to be in uh, chapter 10. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to learn this evening about prayer and spiritual warfare. All right, we thank you for that, Lord. We need it. We need to hear from you on these matters. And, and, and what a better example that we could find uh, other than you, Lord, as you were a man of prayer. But then, then Daniel, Lord, such a man of God and such a uh, living in, in, in such a difficult season and hard times and, and he was a man of prayer and he saw your mighty hand at work. And, and I just pray, Father, that you would uh, speak to us this evening in that way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Chapter 10. Interestingly, starts in the third person. So sometimes in the book of Daniel, it's I, Daniel, and that's what's going to be in verse 2. But uh, in the first verse, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. That was the Babylonian name that was given to Daniel after he was taken prisoner in Jerusalem and brought 900 miles away to, the, to, to Babylon. The message was true. The appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Now, there's, there's a lot in this chapter and I, I want to, but I, I want to begin with that little verse there, that phrase there. It says, the message was true, but the appointed time was long. Now, some of you have a footnote uh, next to that word long. And it, the, the, the word there, the Hebrew word means a long conflict. If you do a word study of the word long in the Old Testament, you're not going to, it's going to be a different word than this word. It's really, it's a struggle. What it means is a long struggle. In other words, he was praying to the Lord, and, and, and we'll see that, and he's really seeking the Lord. He's receiving from the Lord, and what he's receiving is really, really hard. It's a hard message. Verse two, so, uh, verse 2 begins, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. He was, he was fasting. But again, the message he received from the Lord, it was a struggle to hear it. It was a struggle. Many times... When you go to the Lord and you seek him, you know, sometimes we just assume, oh, we're just going to, 
we're just going to hear pleasant and happy things of what God wants for our lives. Not all the time. <laughs> Here he, he, he receives this message and just even receiving it was a, was a struggle. It, was a con- it caused a great conflict in his soul. That's what happens. That's what happened here, and it's often what, what happens to us. It's a, it's a struggle. It's a, the book of, in Genesis, we see Jacob wrestling with the Lord. And so oftentimes, I think correctly, you, you hear people talk about, I, I, I wrestled with God. That's what it's like oftentimes. The, the Lord is bringing us into that place where he's conforming us into his image, and we are so far away from understanding the things of God and the ways of God, he's got to wrestle us literally. He's got to put us in a headlock and twist our head to the side and, 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 and until we start getting it. And even at this late age in his life, he's about 90 years old at this time, it's still difficult. It didn't get any easier. Until we take on different bodies, we go to heaven, or Jesus comes, raptures us, we get a different body, we're going to be in this battle. And now, this whole chapter is about spiritual warfare, and we'll, we'll be getting into that. But it, it, you know, it, it starts. He's, it's like it was, it's hard receiving this message. Now, I just want to, um, uh, I just want to put a put a timeline up here just to give you guys an idea of, of the time period that we're talking about here. Wow. Let's see. I'll move this. All right. So Daniel here, remember Jerusalem, it started under, why don't we start with the other one? Why don't we start with the other one? Um, 1040 BC is where King Saul became king. He was the first king of Israel. Here's David, Solomon, kingdom divided. And there is this uh, 350-year period here. And, And until we reach 606 BC, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are prophesying right here. They're telling the Israelites, the Jews, you gotta repent. For generations, you've been, you've been turning your hearts away from God. God suffers long. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it defines love. The very first definition, love suffers long. He suffered long with them. Well, they said he suffered long with you, but he, just as we were talking about this morning, he is Justice. He's the God of judgment, the Lord of judgment. He cannot. He, it, the, it, the Bible says God will not strive with man forever. Eventually, there's got to be judgment. And if you guys don't turn around, he's going to destroy Jerusalem. The warning signs started in 606 BC when the Babylonians came in from what is now modern-day Iraq, and they invaded uh, Jerusalem. They basically took it over at the time, but they let it be. They didn't really touch it. In, in terms of the buildings and the structure, but they took away, can we, can we go to the other one? Uh, they took away Daniel. They took captives, and they took, Daniel was taken at 13 or 14 years old, and he was taken back to 
Babylon. There's another siege in about 598, another warning sign. And again, any time a huge calamity comes into a Christian's life, they can never say God didn't give them warning signs. God always gives warning signs, always. <laughs> and, and it's just the, the question is, are we looking for them or do we rationalize them and reason them away? He gave them two warning signs and finally uh, the end, 586 B.C., a day of infamy, way worse than Pearl Harbor. <laughs> In the life of, uh, you know, to any good Jew, they, will, they know these dates because the temple was destroyed. The temple of Solomon, one of the great wonders of the ancient world, destroyed Jerusalem, burned down, uh, and, and a third of them were killed. A third of them, you know, ran away, and a third were, another third were taken back to uh, back to back to Babylon. And at that time, uh, rather here, where you have the first people uh, that were exiled or taken captive, there were probably thousands that went when Daniel went, the clock started ticking of a 70-year captivity that the prophet Jeremiah said would happen. There will be a exile of 70 years. So during that 70-year period, Daniel is in Babylon, and during that time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, fall to the, the Medo-Persians here, and uh, right here, it says, decree releasing Israel from captivity. That was by the Persian king Cyrus. Okay. We can take that down. So that just gives you a little background. It says here in verse 1 of chapter 10, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. That was the last piece of the timeline uh, that I showed you. Cyrus, just as had been prophesied, released the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and build their temple. That's what Cyrus did. And... uh, what happened after that time, and all this is important background for this chapter, to understand this chapter, they went back, they started rebuilding the temple, and then what happened? Adversaries, enemies of God, Samaritans came in, and they begin to basically afflict and come against the men and women who were rebuilding the temple. And it, this, is, this is all recounted in Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 4. Uh, it, it says the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius. And eventually, it says they hired counselors. They took what amounts to a bogus sort of legal document and they took it to the uh, king after, after Cyrus, um, Artaxerxes, and they, the, the document was just w- with 
was filled with things. Look, if you let them rebuild this city, this temple, these people will cause you trouble. You just look into your records and see how much trouble this people has given the emperors over the years. And in fact, it was true. <laughs> they had. They had given the least emperor of Babylon a lot of trouble. And, and so at that point, there was a command for them to stop, and they stopped. After just a, a few years, they stopped. They stopped the building. And it is believed here, it says in the third year of Cyrus, that's right about when the building would have stopped. It says, Daniel goes into this fast. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself. So he's just a, a, a short lesson on fasting. When do you fast? Well, it's a great study in the word of God. Uh, Jesus fasted right before his public ministry. So right before maybe you embark on a, a, a major thing in your life, a ministry, or, or maybe it's a, a new job or, or some season. Uh, Paul and Silas were released by the church in Antioch after, or rather Paul and Barnabas, or I guess probably both missionary journeys, after the church in Antioch fasted, it said, they released Paul and Barnabas. And so before a major mission. But as well, you see fasting in the Bible when uh, there is a great calamity in someone's life, a great trial, a great affliction. And, and, and it really, what it is, it's an expression to God. Look, God, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to put away everything else and just focus in on you. And, and, you know, we fast here at this church once a month. Um, anyone who would, would, would like to, I take a trip out to the Dover Woods a, a half hour uh, to the west here. And um, if the first two of every month, and, and, and basically what I always remind myself is when Jesus was fasting and Satan came up to him and he said, hey, turn those, turn those stones into bread. And Jesus said, what did he do? He responded by scripture and he said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and what I always remind myself during a fast is I just say, Lord, man does not live on bread alone. In other words, I can't deal with the issues of life by bread alone, by my natural strength, by natural sustenance. I and I need your supernatural input here, you know, into what is going on in my life. And, 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 and guess what? There doesn't have to be any calamity. There's no requirement to, that there has to be a calamity or a brand new ministry for you to fast. But, but it, you know, it's just going to the Lord. Well, this here, it appears to be a calamity because it's the third year of Cyrus's reign. Cyrus had given the command to, to go back to uh, Jerusalem and, or, or allowing the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And, and so there's one or two things it is believed that were distressing Daniel. It could be that only 45,000 
had returned out of hundreds of thousands of Jews. That the Jews, Daniel's 90, he can't do the travel anymore. The Jews had come to Babylon. Babylon was an extremely prosperous place. And the Jews prospered materially in a great, great way there. And many of them were like, hey, this is cool. I like this. I really like this. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, back, sure, sure, I love the motherland, but uh, I like my, all this money a lot, lot more. And they refused to go back. So some commentators think that's the reason that Daniel was fasting here and he was in, he was in great distress. It says he had no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into his mouth. But others, and I, I, I tend to agree with this, but each of you need to read and come to your own opinion, believe everyone got their hopes up. The building of the temple had started. And then the king comes in and stops the whole thing. Um, and, or, or at least he, a message had gotten back, a message had gotten back to Daniel that there was a tremendous amount of affliction. A tremendous amount of affliction because it looks like from the book of Ezra and, and the, the timeline that we saw that it actually didn't stop until the king after Cyrus. But it did say, I, I had just read in, in Ezra chapter 4, that during the whole time of King Cyrus, the people of the land were trying to get them to stop. And, 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 and it appears they were largely successful before the official order came out of hiring counselors and lawyers and all these people. And so Daniel here is, uh, is greatly distressed at this. And it's also very confusing to him. And here, and, and, and it's, and it, it, why is it confusing to him? Because Jeremiah said after 70 years the, that they would be able to return to Jerusalem. And, and it didn't make sense. He was holding up his Bible and it says very clear that the exile would be 70 years or the time of desolations, is, I, I, I believe is another one of the words used for that 70-year period, would be, you know, would be 70 years. But after that, it wouldn't happen. He's, he's reading his Bible and says, this does not make sense, God. You promised this. What is going on? It's another time to fast, folks. When the Bible, a promise in the Bible... <laughs> does not line up with what is going on in your life, what appears to be happening in your life. And so he's distressed. By the way, just a little side note here. It says, I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. It says no pleasant food. Well, does that mean he like unpleasant food? Like, I don't know, fried lentils or something? Uh, he ate those things, but he just didn't eat meat. The important thing about a fast, you know, fasting is an area you need to be very careful because it soon turns into just legalism if you don't watch out. Every once in a while, I'll, you know, on a Tuesday when we're fasting, I forget, in the morning I get up and I start munching a banana and then I go, I remember, oh, wait a second. And, and it was, oh, that's it. There's no fast. Nothing that you pray is going to be answered today because you just violate. No, no, that's, that's silly. It's a heart thing. <laughs> Here, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't 
it doesn't appear to be. And for a 90-year-old man, probably his doctor had consulted him and said, Daniel, you better not do those full-on fasts, you know? He says, no pleasant food. And that's what, oh, you can fast really anything. I, I, believe it or not, I, I, I know a guy, a pastor actually, he calls fasts and he says, meet me tomorrow morning. We're going to start our fast uh, here, here at church. And uh, he shows up with donuts and coffee. Uh, yeah, I guess you fast other stuff, but you can have those donuts, uh, you know, and, and coffee. But, you know, fasting a lunch or maybe you're fasting TV or the Internet or whatever. But, but the point is you're, you're focusing in on God. It's a, it's a way, it helps me tremendously just to really get everything out of the way and focus on the Lord. That's what it does for me. Is it Job that says, I have desired your word more than necessary food? I think that's Job. It's, it's kind of like that. You, in your own heart, you're saying, God, I desire you more than the food I need. And, 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 and the Lord is pleased. Actually, Jesus says you're rewarded for fasting. As long as you don't go around saying, oh, man, fasting. I, this is just so, I'm so afflicted. As long as you do it in, in private, in, in not privately, but you, know, you don't broadcast it and uh, try to make yourself the, you know, give, draw attention to yourself. So he's doing this, and then we run into, you know, we have another one of these phenomenal uh, Ezekiel slash Daniel visions. It says, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is, uh, is in the Tiger. So apparently he's been fasting for 21 days. I lifted my eyes and looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Now, most commentators believe that this is none other than Jesus Christ who is appearing to Daniel. Those of you who know the book of Revelation will recognize some of the imagery here. Uh, in the book of Revelation, John sees Jesus. Uh, chapter 1, verse 14 of Revelation, his head was his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass. If refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And so most believe that, you know, he sees a, a, this is a vision of the Lord. Now, you may say, well, isn't it obvious that this is Jesus? Well, the problem is, is in just a few verses... There is another interaction between, or, 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 or part of the same vision. It appears, it, it appears that someone else shows up, different than the the the, the person or this 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 image in verse six and seven. Because we'll read that 
someone else shows up to speak to Daniel who says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood them for three weeks. In other words, they were going to Daniel and they were held up by the prince of Persia. And we know no one's holding up Jesus. (laughs) No one can do that. No angelic power or anything is able to withstand Jesus. And yet in verse 13, someone else shows up And so, you know, they're like, well, wait a second. Isn't the person in verse 6 and 7 the same as as the the person or angelic angel or the creature in in verses 12 and 13? And, And most commentators say, well, there's a change. It goes from he's looking at Jesus until a little later, a few verses later, it's the, it's an angel, an angelic Uh, figure that shows up. This will make a little bit more sense to you once we uh, read through this chapter. It says, I, Daniel, verse 7, alone saw the vision for the men who were... I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. So... Apparently, they didn't see the vision, but they could, there was sort of like the presence of the Lord. Maybe there was a shining light. Acts chapter 9, remember, that the, where Paul is on the road to Damascus uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 9, and uh, it, it just says that the, uh, the people with him were, were terrified themselves. They could hear something, but they couldn't understand the words. And so it's, it's a similar thing where th- that they, they didn't see the vision, but something's going on here where the people around Daniel knew it was going on, and they all fled. Terror. It says, it, it, but it says a great terror uh, fell upon them. The word in Hebrew is a quaking. And King James, they quaked, they shake, they shook, they were so scared. And it says, verse 8, therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. So from time to time you speak to someone and they, 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 they push out their chest and pound their chest like a gorilla or something. If I ever see God, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind and tell him what I... No, they're not going to be doing any of that. They're going to see him and they're, they're going to they're gonna quake themselves and they're, and, 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 and they're probably going to flee or try to flee from his presence. Even godly men such as Isaiah says, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I've seen the Lord Almighty. And, and so, um, you know, you read this and, and you get this, this, this vision of God here where, you know, we're really taught in the Bible that there is such a thing as a healthy fear of the Lord. <laughs> a healthy fear of the Lord. And... Uh, and there, there, there's also this sense just God is just so indescribably huge. And 
and you, you read about this, and they're just trying to put into words here. It says his eyes were like torches of fire. His arms and feet were like burnished bronze. That, you know, the, the, the Lord is just so really beyond description here. And, it, 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 you know, it, it's so important that when we are seeking the Lord as to what he wants for our life and seeking the Lord, it's what he wants just in the area of purity or in the area of zeal or in the area just of walking with him. We gotta compare ourselves to the Lord and not to others. In other words, you know, so many times Christians are comparing themselves. Well, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm as good as that guy Fred. You know, I, I read the Bible as much as that guy Fred. Or, you know, I, I pray as much as that woman Susan. Or, or you know, I, I'm, I share my faith as much as that that guy Frank. But the Bible tells us really that we should be looking to the Lord for our example because he's so much bigger and he's so much larger than really any human example. And it could be that God is calling you to a much different walk than every Christian around you to a much purer walk, to a much more zealous walk. It's true. Paul says, follow my example. And, and, and the, it is true. But, you know, ultimately, and I'm sure Paul would be the first one to say this, follow Jesus' example. Don't be making excuses about, well, I, I'm, I'm far enough because, you know, even that Pastor Steve guy, you know, look at his life, you know, don't look at Pastor Steve. Look at the Lord Jesus. And, and when you see these images, you know, uh, of Christ, it really, it, we need to be looking to him and his holiness in terms of, uh, of, what, we, of what we imitate. It says in verse 9, Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly, now most commentators believe that a different creation or creature comes in to the scene now. A hand, not the hand, not the hand of Christ, but a hand. So this appears to be not Jesus, but this is an angel. Touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. So, again, just to repeat, some commentators think this is the same person or creature as verses 6 and 7. It's all an angel. But others, and I tend to agree with them, believe that he, he, sees in, 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 he sees in a dream and a vision and a sleep this incredible image of Jesus. But then in verse 10, an angel wakes him up. In other parts, in, the, in chapter 9, we see this before. It says, an angel touched me. 
It says in Daniel chapter 9. So as this appears to be, he has, he has this vision of Jesus, but then he, it says he's in a deep sleep in verse 9, and an angel actually wakes him up. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble. Verse 11, he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, that's relating back to verse 3, the first day he started fasting and praying. He says, from the first day you started doing that, before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and I became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is there any breath left in me. Then again, verse 18, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And verse 20 says, then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one except me against these, rather, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. All right, what's all that about? Ay, ay, ay. You know, as I was studying this, I really regretted not getting deep into it a long, long time ago. Because for the longest time, you know, I've just heard this. I, I mean, I've read this, and it just seemed... It seemed crazy to me that, oh, you know, this means that God answers a prayer and it takes 21 days because, like, angelic, angelic demonic creatures can, like, defeat um, another one of God's creatures or, or at least slow them down. And, and, you know, 
that's just kind of strange. I mean, come on. When I pray, I can't afford 21 days. You know, I, 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 a lot of times, you know, when I'm in counseling, I'm always praying during counseling because every counseling situation, you know, usually by the time people come, come to me for counseling, uh, either whatever, a marriage conflict or an individual, you know, usually things have gotten really intense. So um, a lot of times I'm like, wow, this is intense. Okay, Lord, what do I say? I can't afford 21 days. Neither can the person who's talking to me. I need to hear now. And the Lord, by the way, is, is really, really faithful. He really, really is faithful to speak to me, you know, so often in that setting. So, but what are we supposed to make of this? You know, for 21 days I was held up. I really regretted not going into it because it really makes so much sense in light of what we've already talked about about what was going on. Cyrus had issued a decree to allow the Jews to go back. Daniel, for whatever reason, the temple had been started. They had started rebuilding the temple and Daniel is greatly distressed. We just read in the book of Ezra throughout Cyrus's reign, the people of the community, the non-Jews, the Samaritans, were fighting with the courts of Cyrus and, other, and otherwise to try to stop the building and probably were intermittently successful. You know, the building probably went off and on until finally there was an order, the king after Cyrus, to stop it, you know, completely. Daniel's looking at all this. He's in great distress he, he, he's praying about it. Lord, you know, the building has, has stopped or it's being hindered. What is going on? This doesn't align with the promise in your word in the book of Jeremiah. It doesn't align with it. What is going on? And meanwhile, at the same time, he sees this vision of Jesus. What is happening here is this. There's a tremendous spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies about the very thing that Daniel is praying about. One can only imagine, given the history of Israel, I mean, if you just look at the history of Israel, what they've been through, the amount of demonic conflict in the courts of the king of Persia in the courts of Cyrus. And the Bible says that Satan is into dividing. A little more on, on that later. But he was using these counselors to go into the Persian courts and divide. It says in verse 13, he says, your, your prayer, verse 12 and 13 says, your prayer was answered. I came to give you the answer but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. He had been praying, Lord, please help your people. They are being battered down now by these enemies in the, in the court. So what's going on is, is Cyrus, there's this 
in the courts of Persia, there's this tremendous spiritual battle that is in the unseen world, that's in the unseen world that is taking place. And we are told in the Bible that there are some prayer requests, thank God, immediately we get an answer. Immediately. Sometimes, again, whether it's whether I'm in counseling or, you know, every Monday night my family goes into Boston to, in a big van, to park and go out to eat. Parking in a big van in Boston, man, you better have a powerful prayer life. But so many times it's incredible particularly when my daughter Elise is praying. We go, Elise, have you prayed yet? We don't, we, we, we don't have a spot yet. Would you please pray? And boom, she starts thinking about it. And there's a spot. No, I'm not kidding. This happens almost every week. There are, but the, you know the word does say this, that, 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 that the instant prayer, praise the Lord, and, and, and we see this, you know, th- uh, examples uh, throughout the Bible, many healings. Um, uh, you know, Peter and John, the, the, the lame guy says, hey, can you give me money? Well, gold and silver we don't have, but what we do have, we'll give you in the name of Jesus, rise. And he rose. Uh, however, there are other things where there's such entrenched strongholds for example, Israel. You know, it looks from a reading of the Bible that, the, the, that Satan and demons have always wanted to extinguish Israel, particularly prior to the birth of Jesus. And we've seen, obviously, examples since, but because why? Because the Messiah would come through them. And we see just about 40 years after this, Haman in the book of Esther, tries to eliminate completely the, the Jews. Why? Satan wanted to do. He was just being used as an instrument of Satan. wanted to snuff out the Messiah. Satan knew full well. He knew, knows the Bible. He knows the Messiah is coming. And so there's this tremendous conflict that is at work here, and that's what's happening for 21 days. So we really do need to get out of our head <laughs> that every time we pray, you know, oh no, you know, there's some, you know, angelic creature holding up the response here. Although, listen, we live in, an, in a critical time, you know, and some of that is going on. I believe there's a spiritual battle for this city. And I believe that when we pray for this city, um, that one of the things that we're stirring up is, is angels or, or, you know, we will not fully understand this because it's a mystery, but they're stirring up, um, we're stirring up really a, a, a great spiritual battle. And, 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 you know, that was what was going on here. And I got to tell you, it was just fascinating. And I, I sort of went crazy here. I, I, I went and looked at what happened in 1948 when Israel 
was established as a nation after 2,500 years, not being a sovereign nation. And it was absolutely stunning what was going on because the opposition to Israel being reestablished as a nation, and and I I never really knew the extent of it, was so extreme. Just to give you a short short history lesson here, (laughs) stay with me now, those of you who are not big fans of history. At the end of World War I, the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire, was basically fell apart completely, leaving a vacuum of power in the area of Palestine. Britain, Great Britain, was given a mandate in 1917 that would, it was a mandate that would run for until actually May 14th, 1948. Very similar to Hong Kong in a way. Remember, they had a mandate to to control Hong Hong Kong. Great Britain did for 99 years, and that's why Hong Kong was returned uh, to communist China, although they've retained some independence there. But so Britain, so there was an enormous amount of, well, what's going to happen after the British mandate of Palestine is up? Well, there were Jews saying, we want an independent state. The problem with that is that, you know, at least prior to 1900, they were, they were outnumbered by, uh, you know, 19, 20 to 1. And still, uh, even as, as the decades progressed, they were still vastly outnumbered by Palestinians. And so um, what happened, and, and you look through it, President Franklin Roosevelt, he was the president during World War II, he would, he actually assured the, the Arabs, he said, look, because people had started talking about an independent state, a Jewish state, and uh, there, and he said to the Arabs, he, Arabs, he assured them, really took a hands-off approach. He says, you don't, have, you don't worry about this because it would never happen unless there's consent, or at least we consult with the Jews and the Arabs uh, in the region. The British itself, themselves, who actually had the mandate, they took a a, a very hands-off approach as well. Because, and and they actually, one of the reasons uh, the the British actually opposed it was they knew that there would be this mass, unlimited immigration into Israel if a Jewish state would actually come in. Uh, But the, the, the real issue was the oil. The Arabs had the oil. And everyone wanted to keep them happy. President Roosevelt dies. President Truman comes in and he appoints a commission basically who would come up with a recommendation that he would follow. The commission comes up with a recommendation, no Jewish state, bad idea. We're in the middle of a Cold War with Russia. We need this Arab oil. If there's a Jewish state, the Arab, if we support a Jewish state, the Arabs are going to turn against us. The Russians will come in and they will be able to dominate the whole, you know, uh, oil trade. So the commission 
instead recommends like a trusteeship under the United Nations, where the United Nations would sort of be, you know, over the, over the, uh, the area. This, so this commission recommends against it. The Department of Defense vehemently against it. The CIA against it. And, and, and it was, it's just amazing because you read through uh, some of the, the, the official government bulletins that, at the time, and they are, they're all completely opposed to it. And, and uh, what is fascinating is that Truman, however, starts to, it's like a Cyrus, literally, like a Cyrus. He starts to favor it. <laughs> and, you know, people are coming against him and uh, they are uh, very much opposed to uh, what he is doing. And I read this absolutely fascinating article about how Truman, he comes out and he begins to... Uh, he says, well, I'm for it. I'm for a Jewish state. In fact, in spite of the fact that all his different cabinet members are, are coming against him, he goes, I'm, uh, I'm for it. And he had been in an ongoing dialogue with uh, some, Jewish, uh, some Jewish leaders, and he says, I'm for it. But after he came out and said uh, he was for it, um, all of a sudden, there was going to, uh, all of a sudden, the, the Jewish leaders, they needed to have Truman come out and, and basically recognize the nation of Israel. But all of a sudden, there was just silence the, between these Jewish leaders and Truman, and they started to panic. And he wouldn't respond to them, he wouldn't meet with them, and they started to panic. What was going on? I believe the same thing as we're reading here in chapter 10. There was just a tremendous spiritual battle right there in Washington, D.C. And, and, uh, uh, and anyway, I want to share with you uh, what actually happened on March 12, 1948. This is two months before the state became official and the United States had to decide whether or not to recognize it. And if the United States doesn't decide to recognize Israel, really there's a good possibility the nation is just going to collapse because you know, anyone who is a student of modern-day Israel recognizes that the United States has been the force behind uh, pressuring nations uh, into... Uh, UN resolutions and this type of thing to support Israel. But listen to this. If I could just, if you could be patient with me here. It says on March 12, 1948, and this all happens right, right around us here. Dewey D. Stone of Brockton, Massachusetts, Brockton, Massachusetts spent the day in New York City with his close friend and mentor, Wiseman. Now, Wiseman was, his name was Chaim Wiseman. He was the one who had been meeting with Truman, and Truman just basically just stopped cut him off, and refused to have any more negotiations with him. He was troubled, Wiseman was troubled by Truman's refusal to meet. Stone was an, uh, a leading American Zionist who would become chairman of the United Jewish Appeal. He says, on that night, Stone returned to Boston to attend a dinner at the Parker House Hotel, right on, on the Common, uh, at which he and Frank Goldman, the national uh, president of the benign Br Brith, uh, were being honored. 
They confided Wiseman's distress to Goldman regarding Truman's refusal to visit, to meet. And Goldman replied that, he said, by coincidence, he had just visited Kansas City. Now, Kansas City, anyone know where, where Truman used to, to live? Missouri. He's from Missouri. Now, it's kind of confusing, but there's a Kansas City, Kansas, and there's a Kansas City, Missouri. Well, this man in New York, Goldman, he says, I just visited um, Kansas City, Missouri, and I happened to have uh, dinner with none other than Harry Truman's former partner in a clothing store. And Goldman offered to call this man, this former partner, partner in the clothing store named Jacob, Jacobson, and urge him to intervene. And so, anyway, they wind up calling this guy in Kansas City, letting him, flying him to the New York. His name was Jacobson. Explained to him everything that's going on. And so this, it says, this man Jacobson, right then, hopped on a train to Washington, and he walked in unannounced on his old friend, the President of the United States, Harry Truman. <laughs> he went in, he says Truman was happy to see him, but reluctant to be pressured about the Israel issue. Stimmied, in other words, stimmied by the President, Jacob said, pointed to the bust of Andrew Jackson in the Oval Office. And he told Truman, he said, Wiseman, who's this Jewish leader, was a national leader cast in the same mold and temperament as the great Tennessee president whom Truman revered. So Truman loved Andrew Jackson. Truman laughed, made an off-color remark, and told Jacobson uh, to make an appointment for Wiseman to see him. And soon after that, he got the commitment. And right after uh, the British mandate expired, Truman recognized Israel. And so you just get a picture of really that it's the same thing that happened, of course, in, in the, in, during the Holocaust. You can just imagine what was going on with, with Hitler and, and his cabinet in the spiritual realm. And so what we have here in Daniel chapter 10 is this fascinating unveiling where we can actually see a picture into what is going on in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual realm. And uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of spiritual warfare. The Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but by, against principalities and, and, and powers, um, you know, uh, of the air. And, and it's interesting here, and I think there's a great lesson here in, in spiritual warfare because, you know, um, eventually, eventually the Jews were allowed to rebuild again, and they did. The temple was completed. The walls were completed. When you are laboring in intercession in prayer, you know, you, there's this kooky sort of notion that when we're laboring about things like, Lord, we want revival in Boston, or we're laboring about some major issue uh, in our lives, that we're supposed to be, you know, calling out Satan. Satan, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Satan this, Satan that, you know, this. Not a whole lot of precedent for that in the Bible. Certainly, Jesus said, Satan, get behind me, this type of thing. No 
evidence at all that Daniel was calling out Satan or demons or anything. He was just praying. When you pray, it stirs up the heavens. And, 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 and you know, that's what is significant, is just a prayer life. And and in, in intercession and and you know there's there is a spiritual battle going on. We don't understand it uh, completely. You know, we 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 you hear the expression we our battle is against the fl- flesh, the world, and the devil. And you know it's hard sometimes to know what is what. But, you know, at some level, we d- it doesn't even matter. If we're praying to the Lord about an issue that distresses us, the heavens are shaken, and he responds. Now, I do believe that in some circumstances, we're, we're, we're shaking up just like with, just like with, um, with Daniel here. We're, we're shaking up a, a serious, stirring up a serious spiritual battle. The Bible says that in, in Romans chapter 13, we are supposed to be praying. Same thing in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2 definitely addresses the issue of praying for those in authority. We're stirring up things in the heavenlies when we're praying for the mayor, for the governor, for the president. Because you can only imagine what is going on behind the scenes. You can only um, imagine now, uh, spiritual warfare. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power of the air. I get very... Too, people make two mistakes when it comes to the sole subject of Satan um, and, and spiritual warfare. They'll make one of two mistakes. One mistake, one, one mistake that I hear Christians make is, is they blame everything on the, on the devil. It's like I lost my keys and I was trying to come to church. Oh, it's the devil. He's always doing that stuff, you know. Don't be like that. You know, the, you know the, 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 that's foolishness. Could it, is it possible? Yes, it's possible the devil stole your keys. It's possible. But it's probably because you're irresponsible because you're not leaving your keys in the same place every time. You know, they, you know it's probably your own fault. You know, don't blame things, you know, uh, on the devil. Or, or people will fall into uh, adultery. Well, you know, the devil made me do it. Big mistake. You know, the opposite extreme is you don't believe in the devil at all. Keith Green, one of the great raucous Keith Green Songs, please. If you don't not familiar with Keith Green, you got to get onto him. I know it's got that '80s thing that some of you have to uh, have to. You just need to repent and like it is what you need to do. Um, but uh, but uh, he he has this song and the devil singing it, and it's like no one believes me anymore. No one believes me anymore. And so, in, in, and he says, and therefore they just open up their doors and they let me right in. And it's like, yeah, this is like this Keith Green song. That's the opposite extreme. The fact of the matter is, you know, there's a middle road. And the middle road is this. Understand that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of the air. Now, I'm just going to review just a few 
a few areas here in the Bible where it says that Satan can very well be involved. And then, then we'll close and, and, and we pray. We pray on Sunday nights. First Chronicles 21.1 says, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number the people. So he, he is often involved, Satan is, in stirring up pride. Stirring us up to pride because he knows that if he stirs us up to pride after it says, what does the proverb say? Shame or destruction comes. Um, we see from Job and we also see Jesus talk about the woman with an issue of blood that sometimes, not all the time, he has a role in physical sickness. Got to be careful with that one, but the Bible does teach it. You know, he does. So sometimes it is absolutely appropriate to, to be praying along those lines it, with a sickness, if you really feel like the Lord has, ha, has spoken to you about a person, or maybe it's yourself. Satan is also very much involved prior to the beginning of a ministry or the beginning of a move of God. He came in and with, with Jesus and tempted Jesus right before his public ministry. He's involved in evangelism. Isn't that terrible? It says in Mark chapter 4 that the parable of the sower, when the seed is sown, Satan just came, the birds just came and sweep it up. That's why it's so important to cover your sharing of the word with prayer. Man, every time I have ever gone out on the street with our, our guys on Saturday night, oh my, is it a struggle getting there. It's like, you got to be kidding. Everyone, no one's going to talk to you tonight. This is going to be a joke. You're going to wasting your time. That's normal. He's involved in evangelism. The Holy Spirit's involved too, praise the Lord. But so is Satan. We learn from the Bible. It says that in the Bible, it says in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Jesus says, to, Jesus says to, to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. Discouragement. Extreme discouragement can come from the enemy. And again, the solution is not necessarily Satan, get your hands off me. It's just praying to the Lord like Daniel. It's just praying to him. Acts 26, 18. Jesus says to, uh, Paul defines his ministry as, uh, 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 as to open the eyes of people in order to turn them from darkness to light. Satan will keep communities or even countries in bondage. Now, my brother's been into different places in Asia, and he'll go into a different country, and there's like this bizarre stronghold. You know, we read here about a prince of Persia. Speaking of demonic, demonic uh, entity, we see, uh, there's also a prince of Greece. And I'm not suggesting for one minute that you do this weird spiritual mapping sometimes and try to, like, figure out what demonic entities are in certain areas. That's just nonsense. Focus on the Lord, not that. But we still do need to recognize that there are strongholds like that. First um, Corinthians chapter seven verse five, and this is real. This is speaking of 
sex between a husband and wife. Do not deprive one another except with a consent of time, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So he does tempt ladies, men, both. He tempts, he tries to tempt you into sexual immorality. 2 Corinthians 2.11, it's that, that interesting verse that says, we need to be, you need to be, uh, you need to know what Satan's schemes are. It says, and he says, we are not ignorant of his, Satan's devices. Does anyone know what he was talking about in that particular context? Anyone know? Anyone? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Oh boy, is the work done. Does Satan have his work done? If you just get people bitter and angry and unforgiving towards brothers and sisters in Christ, or, or really anyone. And then, um, you know, you, you read some other interesting things like First Thessalonians 2.18 where it says Paul was thwarted by going into a particular area and, uh, and, and so sometimes, you know, Satan will just hinder you going, may hinder someone going into a particular area. I remember the first time Adley and I went down uh, to Haiti and we took a bunch of, a bunch of the, the street kids to be baptized and the truck broke down twice on the way to this baptism. And, and there was just really, I was really wondering, wait, is this just a coincidence. I mean, and, and so you do see this type of thing. Lastly, Revelation 12, 9, it says, uh, it says the great da- dragon, referring to that serpent of old called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and the angels were cast out with him. He deceives. He deceives. He keeps people Deceived, he will, de- and that's why you know, I was just in my devotion time this morning. It says Jesus says in Matthew twenty four, watch, be watchful. He says, be watchful and pray always. And and we can have a full confidence, by the way, a full confidence that if we're in the Word, and we're in prayer, and we're in fellowship with the community of saints, that we're not going to be deceived. I have no fear whatsoever of being tricked by Satan. I, none. Provided that I'm in prayer and I'm in fellowship and I'm in the word. Now, if I'm out of those things or if you're out of those things, you better be, you better be terrified. You should be quaking, you know, like these folks who, you know, in Daniel chapter 10. But we can have full confidence. That's why the Bible says, through prayer, Philippians chapter 4, lift up your request to God and the peace that passes passes understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So there's that protection there. So what a lesson about spiritual warfare, a lot in this chapter. We close out Sunday nights with a time of prayer. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to use what we have learned here as a springboard to prayer and we 
will, you know, also just uh, you know pray about a a ministry that we we support. We like to do that on Sunday nights as well. But what we do is we separate into groups of four and five. If you need to leave, by the way, the usher in the back, Steve, has the the parking tokens. But we separate into groups of four and five. The worship, someone is going to come up and and just lead us in in worship, and they will do that. And we want to intercede. I would like to focus tonight on interceding for the city, (laughs) for this city, the city of Boston and this country, because we have that example in Daniel chapter 10. But if you can just just find uh, four or five folks and um, get into groups, I will join you in just a few minutes.